Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale, the law firm where real estate really matters. Hello and welcome to Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale. I'm Fiona Larkham and I'm the team's professional support lawyer. I'm joined today by Della Gilbert, who's a partner in our property litigation team and is currently chair of the Property Litigation Association. Our conversation today is about minimum energy efficiency standards, or MEES for short, and why they're going to affect more commercial lettings from April this year. Hi Fiona. We seem to have been talking about expected changes to energy efficiency standards for a long time. Are we any closer to a definite roadmap from government? Well, yes and no. So we know that MEES are going to catch more commercial lettings from the 1st of April. And we're also expecting that the minimum EPC required for a commercial letting is going to rise from E to C by 2027 and then B by 2030. But unfortunately, the government still hasn't confirmed that policy or made the necessary regulations. I should say that we're recording this on the 29th of March 2023 and that we're expecting some sort of announcement from government tomorrow. We had been hoping for a clear policy on MEES, but it now sounds as though the announcements will focus more on energy infrastructure than on efficiency, so we may still be left hanging. Okay, so shall we start with what we do know then? Yep, I think that's a good idea. There are two separate MEES regimes for residential and commercial, so I just want to be clear that what we're talking about today is only the commercial side. And since 2018, it's been unlawful to grant a new lease of a commercial property which is substandard. And by substandard, we mean that it has an EPC rating of F4G. From 1st April this year, that's going to extend to commercial properties with leases already in place so that it will become unlawful for a landlord to continue a letting if the property is substandard. There are some exceptions, but if none of them apply, then the landlord's going to have to improve the EPC rating or risk civil penalties. Oh, civil penalties. What sort of penalties are we talking about? Well, there are fines on a sliding scale which is based broadly on rateable value, and they start in the range of five to 50,000. After three months, that rises to a range of ten to 150,000. And offending landlords will also be officially named and shamed in what's called the publication penalty. Sounds serious. So who will do the enforcement? Well, I think it's going to be stricter than what we've currently got used to for EPCs. MEs are enforced by local trading standards. And in order to make enforcement better, the government's recently dished out some funding to be used for this purpose. And actually, at Maples Teasdale, we've already seen one scattergun enforcement letter, which was sent to a client by a London borough, where someone's clearly just looked at the public EPC register and sent letters to all the commercial properties with EPCs below an E rating. Gosh, well, there's obviously quite a lot of detail to unpick for landlords keen to avoid penalties. Do MEs apply to all types of commercial letting? No, they don't. Short leases, which I mean leases of six months or less, are outside the scope of MEES unless, of course, they contain a provision to renew or, in fact, if the tenant's already been in occupation for 12 months. So that little bit of anti-avoidance means that landlords can't use a series of short leases to escape MEES. And at the other end of the scale, long leases granted for 99 years or more are also outside the MEES regime. So in reality, reversionary leases and superior leases could be caught unless they're too long. Yes, that's absolutely right. And we could be left with the slightly odd situation that if a substandard property is subject to both a head lease and an underlease, then both superior landlord and the head tenant could be caught if they can't show a valid exemption. What about properties that don't have a current EPC, though? 
Well, that's a really crucial point. The way it works is that a property can only be classed as substandard if it has an EPC rating that's already below E. So if there isn't any EPC at all, then technically MEs can't bite. You know, the good news for owners is that at present, there's no absolute obligation to have an EPC. Although in reality, a property owner would need to get one before marketing the property for sale or a new letting. But if there's no EPC and a current lease has a while to run, the landlord is going to have some breathing space. What if a property is listed? Does that mean no EPC is required? Sadly, it's not that simple. This is something that has been bothering people ever since the EPC regime first came in. The government guidance refers to buildings which are protected as part of a designated environment or because of their special architectural or historical merit. So that fits broadly with what we would think of as listed. Those sorts of buildings are exempt from having an EPC only where complying with minimum energy performance requirements would unacceptably alter their character or appearance. So really, the short answer is it depends. And in fact, the guidance actually says building owners will need to take a view. Okay, now I know there are a few exemptions. So which ones are most likely to apply? Well, I think there are three that landlords will be focusing on. The one that most landlords will already have thought about is what we call the consent exemption. And that applies where a landlord needs consent from a third party to make improvements. If that consent is either refused or is given subject to unreasonable conditions, then the landlord can claim an exemption from MEES. So that probably applies to quite a lot of commercial leases. It's quite unusual for landlords to have the right to do works on a property with a tenant in occupation, for example. Yeah, Dell, you're absolutely right there. Although I would say things do seem to be changing. And I think now forward-looking landlords would rather have a clear right to go in and make the energy efficiency improvements they feel they need than to just rely on an exemption. And it's worth noting as well that the consent exemption could apply where consent is required from superior landlords, possibly lenders, or it could apply to planning or listed building consent. So that might be another way around the listed building conundrum. I know landlords aren't expected to carry out works unless they pay for themselves within seven years. So tell me how that works. Well, that's part of the exemption that landlords can claim if they've done what the Act refers to as all relevant energy efficiency improvements, or if they can show that there aren't any. So broadly speaking, what that means is improvements which have been recommended in an EPC or in a surveyor's report, and where the likely savings in energy bills over seven years is more than the cost of doing the work. Now, obviously, there is an immediate mismatch there because the lower bills benefit tenants, while the cost of improvement usually falls on landlords. And the big issue is that there's quite an admin burden for landlords involved in applying for that exemption, because in order to provide evidence, they need to get three quotations for work that actually may never even be done. Okay, so what happens if an investor buys in a property where the seller has already registered an exemption? Can they rely on that? Well, that's, again, a really good question, and it leads on to the third exemption that I was going to mention. Exemptions generally apply for five years, but the really important thing for investors to bear in mind is that they're personal to the landlord who registers them. So anyone who buys an investment property has got to reassess the situation and apply in their own right. But there is a temporary six-month exemption for new owners to allow time for them to get on and do this. So assuming that MEs apply and the property has an EPC rating of F or G, and there are no exemptions, what should the landlord be doing? Well, if 
they are lucky enough to have a property that has all electric heating, it could be worth getting a new EPC. And the reason I say that is that the modelling behind EPCs was changed last year to reduce what they call the carbon factor associated with electricity. And that's been done because so much more electricity now comes from renewables. So in practice, the EPC rating for an electric heated building might be better now, even without having made any other improvements. The thing to be aware of, though, is that EPC ratings for buildings with gas heating are probably going to get worse as a result of the same remodelling exercise. Okay, Fiona, one of the questions we get asked a lot by clients is who is responsible for carrying out works to bring EPC ratings up to E? Yeah, I hear that a lot too. It's a very understandable question, but actually the answer is no one. And the reason I say that is that MEs don't require any specific work. And in fact, nor do they actually require that all commercial rented properties have an EPC of E or higher. They just say that it's unlawful to let or continue letting a property that doesn't have an E. A lease that's already been granted is still valid. The landlord and tenant relationship carries on just as before. But the point is that all of the potential penalties fall on the landlord. So really, it is the landlord's problem. Unless the lease says the tenant has to make improvements, which, as you said, it'd be quite unusual, then it's going to be left with the landlord. And presumably, if the law doesn't require any specific works to be done, the landlord can't rely on a tenant's obligation to comply with statute. Yeah, exactly. And that point also feeds into the other really important question, which is who pays for any improvements? The cost of doing that sort of thing is very unlikely to fall into existing service charge drafting unless there's something clear in the drafting and the landlord can't rely on it being required in order to comply with statute. So this is really one of the areas that landlords need to focus on in new leases. And our experience on a lot of recent lease negotiations is that where landlords have asked for rights to make energy efficiency improvements, some tenants have been prepared to agree, but only on the basis that none of the cost falls to them. A more balanced approach is obviously for landlords to cover capital costs and then to be able to recover ongoing costs through the service charge. But like all green lease provisions, it really depends on how engaged the parties are with ESG. So to sum up, landlords need to identify any properties in their portfolios with EPC ratings below E, then check whether MEs apply and whether there are any valid exemptions. Beyond that, they need to plan how to make improvements and keep in mind that the minimum rating is likely to rise to C and then probably B. Yep, that's right. And we're all just waiting really for the government to tell us what their policy is. And as soon as they do, then Della, I suggest we come back with part two of this podcast. But in the meantime, thanks very much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale. I hope you'll be able to join us again next time. Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale, the law firm where real estate really matters.